This is Bill Munhausen bringing you another episode of Key Ozarks What Makes Sense. And this is part seven of a series where I'm talking about some 60 second uh, clips I did a few years ago called Expo Minutes. Regarding the background of that, I guess it's kind of, I'm trying to think of what I should rename these things because there is no Expo anymore. It was a worldview center that I ran at one time in the past. And it was about an exposition. That's where the expo came from. So toying with some renaming ideas for these little episodes. But anyhow, they're expo minutes. And they're about different elements of Christian worldview. And I'm going down this trail because I'm really interested in things that make sense, not so much things that are based in ideology. And one of the evidences is to look at things as they are and without stretching the point, just, in, just use it to indicate or to figure out what is true in life. And really, a lot of things that are true are pretty self-evident once you look at things as they really are. And this can be in the different sciences, it can be in human history, uh, our just common human experience. And um, hopefully, something good will come of this little exercise in going through these things. The reason there's so many episodes, there are going to be 12 of them all together, 12 parts to this. It's because I did a set of these clips for every month of the year for a year's time and uh, had them played on a local radio station. And this is kind of a resurrection of those ideas. So with that said, let's go to the very first clip in this episode. Hello, I'm Pastor Randy Chapel from First Baptist Church Camdenton for Creation Expo. Are the creation days of Genesis ordinary days? Of course they are, but that's not the point. The creation message is really about who God is. God isn't an alien from outer space trying to take over the planet to enslave us. He is our Father and Maker who sent His Son to redeem and restore us to Him. We can have interesting discussions about all aspects of science, but we need to remember whose we are. We need to remember that it is more important about who God is than how He made us. The question before us is what believers ought to believe. We should find our unity in God's Word, remembering Proverbs 27:17, that iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Seek the truth instead of an argument. If you've listened to previous episodes, you realize that one of the experiments in this was to involve different people to get different voices and different perspectives in delivering these messages. And that was an example of a another person, somebody work, who worked at uh, First Baptist Church in Camdenton. Um, I think he was actually the music director and youth pastor, if I remember correctly, uh, and has moved on to another position. But anyhow, uh, it's kind of interesting hearing these messages that I crafted, spoken by a different person, maybe given a little bit different um, emphasis and a little different style than I would have given it. So what I'm getting at in this first clip is we sometimes get lost in the details. Uh, there's a lot of Christians who argue about whether Genesis is describing a six-day creation week and whether those are literal six days or whether those six days really um, stand for long periods of time. They're just kind of symbolic days. And it is an interesting discussion, but it isn't the point. The real point of Genesis is that God has a right 
to instruct us on how to live because he created everything. He created us and he has the best idea for how we should live in a productive way. So God has authority because of he, he's the creator. It's one of the essential realities of God. And if creation isn't true, then God doesn't enjoy that reality now, does he? And if creation isn't true, if God just is this kind of um, superhuman kind of creature out in space, then he has no authority over us. It's kind of like uh, that movie Independence Day, we should fight against the alien. But this isn't the case. God has a right to his perspective because he made all things. We would be wise to read what he says, follow what he says, and be somewhat in conformity with what he says because it is what is best for us. So that's the point of it. It's not about six days really, but it is about six days. On to the next clip. This is Bill Munhausen for Creation Expo. A century and a half ago, Charles Darwin proposed that little changes in living things resulted in entirely new kinds of animals over millions of years. However, that was before scientists explored genetics. Evolution would predict that organisms have evolved to favor change, but biologists have slowly learned that, that the genetic code is designed to inhibit change rather than promote it. Biological cells have proteins that constantly survey DNA looking for mutations and repairing them. Now it's been discovered that cells even use inorganic tools. Repair proteins test DNA strands by sending electrons along each strand. If electrons are blocked, enzymes know there is damage and repairs are executed. The scientific evidence is one of careful engineering to prevent evolutionary changes. Darwin's main accomplishment was to help get atheists entrenched in the scientific establishment. We forget they are speaking on behalf of their atheistic worldview. What I love about scientific evidence is it doesn't let you sneak off into some philosophical position very easily. Uh, the evidence in biology is that things are made to stay the same. The whole genetic code is designed to prevent mutation from taking over. And if we were really, if everything really did evolve, that part of that evolutionary process would have been to facilitate change and to facilitate evolution. Instead, the genetic code makes change difficult, makes change almost impossible. In fact, as we study genetic mutation, we find that most mutations are destructive. They cause something to go wrong. They result in an abnormality that doesn't help the individual survive at all. When we consider what scientists tell us, we forget that they're just people and they have a philosophy. And in fact, most of the university system has been taken over by a very atheistic, evolutionary, naturalistic philosophy. And that philosophy invades everything. It even invades something as straightforward as the study of genetics. When I was younger, I worked in software development and um, program code is very much like the genetic code. Uh, it leads to a result or a conclusion that is inescapable because whoever wrote the code designed the code to go there. And somehow whoever wrote the genetic code designed it to go to a place that prevented errors from intruding. It was kind of like it was a a uh, built-in bug defeater as far as code is concerned. 
and it's not exactly, it is not at all what you'd expect if the code was designed to be flexible and changing. So it's a very powerful evidence in my estimation. Again, we forget that people who um, study science and tell us about science, especially the popularizers, I guess you could call them, of science, have a philosophical agenda. They're trying to convince us of something, and they're trying to convince us against the idea that everything is created by God and designed carefully for our benefit. And we forget that that philosophy underlies what they says, what they say, and it distorts the science. They don't give us the straightforward science and the real science. They give us an interpretation of science. It's very hard to overcome because most people aren't as nerdy as I am. They don't have a background in logical thinking and code writing, so they don't necessarily want to understand the science. They're intrigued by the um, fun facts about living things, but not so much the nitty-gritty what's happening at the code level as I am. So I'm trying to let you know that when you look at the genetic code, it points to something. It points to design, not uh, evolution. Let's go on to another clip. I'm Bill Munhausen for Creation Expo. We think of space as the absence of matter, but space seems to have substance. NASA researchers believe that space can be folded to reduce the time to travel between stars, like warp drive in Star Trek. And dozens of Bible verses refer to space being spread out or stretched. Isaiah 50 verse 3 even refers to the heavens being clothed in black. So space must have form and substance in order to be clothed. Even the Big Bang refers to the creation of space as inflation rather than an explosion of material. Not saying the Big Bang is true, just that scientists are on the same track as scripture in their descriptions of space. God's invisible power sustains the cosmos. God's power is so strong that Big Bang cosmologists think it makes up most of the universe in the form of dark matter and dark energy. They say 90% of the universe is invisible. Be encouraged that we're all moving toward the same conclusions. I've probably said before that I'm not a big fan of cosmology because it's become so theoretical, mathematically based, and so um, divorced from direct observation and experience. And it's, it's kind of necessary for cosmology because so far, even though this clip talks about how space can be folded so that we can travel faster than the speed of light, uh, so far, we haven't been able to do that, so we can't go out in space and see what's really taking place out there. But nevertheless, what I like about this particular clip about cosmology is it does point out how, as we continue to study space and study cosmology, we come to the same conclusions that the Bible was talking about all along. The Bible talks about the stretch, uh, space being stretched out like a cloth, a lot of the language in the Bible can be applied to what Big Bang theorists say, say today. And that should be a source of comfort, even though cosmology is kind of a, uh, as I said, a very theoretical endeavor nowadays. We can be confident that it's moving in the same direction toward what the Bible was describing all along. It wasn't that many decades ago that cosmologists believed that space was eternal. And when the Big Bang Theory came along, they really initially rebelled against it because it sounded too much like creation. But we've 
inexorably been drawn toward understanding cosmology in terms of a creation event that happened in the past, whether it's billions of years ago in the past or whether it's a few thousand years ago in the past is up for debate, but nevertheless there was a creation event. And Big Bangers maybe don't believe there was a creator that puts them in the awkward position of believing that nothing created everything. Uh, but meanwhile, the science itself, aside from all the philosophizing, is moving toward the same direction as the story of Genesis. Okay, let's go on to the next clip. Not so well known, but nevertheless intriguing, is the South American connection to dinosaurs. Joe Taylor offers a cast at the Mount Blanco Fossil Museum of ceremonial burial stones from the Ica province of Peru, bearing depictions of dinosaur-like creatures. Spanish conquistadors brought back stories about these stones with strange creatures carved on them. They were produced long before the modern discovery of dinosaurs. Over 1,100 of these stones have been collected by Dr. Javier Cabrera, son of the modern discoverer of these artifacts. Skeptics claim they are forgeries because opportunistic locals reproduced them for tourists. But there were no tourists at the time of the conquistadors. The original Ica stones collected by the Cabrera family came from tombs dated to be over a thousand years old and are convincing testimony that living dinosaurs were observed by Peruvian natives. This clip explores the dinosaur-dragon connection again. Creationists point out that historical records of dinosaur-like dragons have been recorded in many cultures around the world. The Ica stones are artistic depictions of large animals that look like familiar dinosaur types. The stones themselves range from the size of a softball to a cantaloupe melon, with pictures of various things painted on their surfaces. Some of those things are large animals. Obviously, this is not proof, but it isn't easy to explain away that artists could even imagine dinosaurs many centuries ago unless they saw one. Modern Peruvians complicate matters by forging new stones for the tourist trade. There is no conclusive way to determine the age of the painted stones, so some investigators dismiss them all as fake in spite of the fact that stones have been found in clearly old excavations. There's a recurring problem with archaeology from the human era. We humans don't think of things we live with as historical artifacts, so we use them instead of leaving them alone for scientists to excavate in a controlled way. Here's what one article says. Excavations in Ica province were carried out in the late 19th and early 20th centuries by several reputable scholars. None of them reported the discovery of carved andesite stones. Nevertheless, carved stones which had been looted by native grave robbers began to be offered for sale to tourists and amateur collectors. In other words, Peruvian entrepreneurs got to the Ica stones before the archaeologists could determine where they were found. As a result, the evidence is tainted. Nevertheless, early Spanish explorers mentioned the stones long before their origin became controversial. As I said, these kind of evidences are found all over the world, and it seems unlikely that they are hoaxes and forgeries, at least not all of them. Let's go on to the next clip. Creationists take a lot of heat for advocating a recent creation. Don't features like Grand Canyon testify to millions of years? For an answer, consider Star Trek. Captain Picard walks up to a replicator and commands, T. 
herbal gray, hot, and a perfectly brewed cup of tea appears. Our experience tells us it takes time to grow tea plants, harvest the leaves, and distribute the product. And then there's the cup, but Picard simply spoke it into existence in a moment. We see it as a scientific possibility. The question is what believers ought to believe. We have a bias as finite people who see processes all around us that imply the passage of time. But we should recognize a creator God would have the power to speak a world into existence. Psalm 33.6 reads, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Although we may have used the Star Trek replicator example previously, I have something else to say. It's how easily we accept something if it's put in the right context. Many people will read about God speaking the universe into existence and consider it a difficult-to-believe miracle. After all, it's God and it's in the Bible. If they don't believe in the Bible, they reject it as supernatural mumbo-jumbo. But then the captain of the starship Enterprise speaks a cup of tea into existence. That's perceived as future science, not a supernatural miracle. Speaking the universe into being or speaking a cup of tea, both events are beyond our current capabilities, but context determines which one we are willing to consider credible. We should consider that a creator of worlds could do more than any ordinary man. Let's listen to the next clip. I see a lot of discussion in social media about the future of the church and how to make Christianity more attractive to the next generation. Many years ago, Dr. Francis Schaeffer created a book and documentary film titled How Should We Then Live? The series told about the rise of Western civilization under the influence of biblical Christianity and its subsequent decline as Christian influence waned. Dr. Schaeffer prophetically predicted the rise of a manipulative elite to replace the Christian consensus, a future then that we are living now. He concluded that the only hope to restore the freedoms afforded by following the Lord was for people to restore their individual commitment to the truths of God, that he is real and has spoken clearly and that we are privileged to honor him and spread the gospel. The issue is not how to make the gospel acceptable to the next generation. We have to make the gospel real to the next generation by boldly proclaiming even unpopular truths and by living the truth and conquering the dark influences in the world today. In listening to this clip again, I was struck by the idea of dark influences in the world. We are dealing with evil that no longer feels the need to operate in secret. We just watched our own once beloved government raid the private home of a former president without any public explanation or justification. They operate above the law to do whatever they want for political power and we, the citizens of this country, do nothing to oppose them. They are the manipulative elite described by Francis Schaeffer and their strategy is to replace the Christian consensus because that's all that stands in the way of unbridled power. Make no mistake about it. There is an elite that sees it their mission to undo Christianity and create a replacement world spirit. You can get a sense of it in the film Zeitgeist. Watch that sometime. They fervently believe that Christianity is a delusion that is holding back the creative potential of the human race. Although they think they represent a new wave of intellectual thought, the substance of it is as ancient as Satan. I wish that Christians would take to heart their responsibility to save the world. We love those movies where ordinary people rise up to defeat an enemy. Sometimes it takes a superhero but we always cheer for defeating evil. Well, the zeitgeist people are as evil as they get. Some of their followers may be deluded and need rescue, but the leaders are demonic. 
when we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, we were saved, but also recruited into an army to overcome evil. Will we rise to the occasion? Schaefer also said the only hope is for individuals to restore their individual commitment to the Lord of the Bible. That seems to be a tall order, at least if you look at it as something everyone must do all around the world. But we should remember that Schaefer talked about the Christian consensus. This means we just have to reach a tipping point in bringing people to the Lord. We also just need to do that here in America and then re-harness the American spirit to help the other nations. Jesus told us to make them disciples. The process includes political reform. That's our responsibility. All right, let's go on to another clip. What does the Bible say about leadership? 1 Peter 5.3 puts it this way, Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your good example. The early church saw Roman conquerors leading by violence and the Pharisees leading by commandments, and they wanted no part of it. Worldly leaders lead by force. We see it in foreign dictators. We see it in international terrorism. Unfortunately, we see it in the wheeling and dealing of our own politicians. Biblical leaders, however, lead by doing right and encouraging others to join and follow. The question is what believers ought to believe. Jesus called his disciples to this new kind of leadership in Matthew 20:25, saying, You know that the leaders of the Gentiles lorded over them, but it shall not be among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. I just had a conversation with my daughter about leadership. I was saying that it was wrong to allow people at the federal level to do so many unlawful acts. We see it all the time, uh, outrageous things taking place, and there never seem to be any consequences. As the clip says, they are the kind of leaders who lord it over us, and we should do something. But then we talked about what we should do, a little bit like Francis Schaeffer's How Should We Then Live? We had just watched a panel discussion on Flashpoint on the Victory Channel. The panel was admonishing churches to stand for justice and oppose what is happening in Washington, D.C. Gretchen and I talked about what that really looks like. Exactly what action can an individual take to rein in the activities of the government of a superpower? There is only so much that can be done by talking, by advising others to take a stand or do something. The clip says that biblical leaders lead by doing right and encouraging others to follow. We have to determine what can be done to resist tyranny, do it, and encourage others to join in. One of the projects I am personally working on is the Convention of States movement based on Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. Its stated aim is to reduce the power and scope of the federal government. Maybe the time is finally right for that movement to come to fruition. But it's up to each of us to try to figure out what that right thing is that we can do, do what is right, and encourage others to join in. Okay, that's the way to be a leader. Let's go on to one last clip. Do atheists really exist? Of course people who think they're atheists exist. But new scientific research proposes that people really aren't atheists because we're innately predisposed towards spirituality. Researchers say that a metaphysical outlook is so deeply ingrained in human thought processes that it can't be removed. Atheists want to believe that unbelief is the normal state of being, but atheism itself seems to be unnatural. 
a secular anthropologist wrote this, Religious thought and behavior can be considered natively human, like music, political systems, family relations, or ethnic coalitions. It's just the way we're made. The question is what believers ought to believe. The book of Hebrews 8.10 reads, I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts. Science is now confirming this truth. Do atheists exist? Because they are so angry about God, I think they are not really atheists. The Bible says that mankind is made in God's image, and this clip was about the scientific confirmation that a spiritual nature is built into humanity. That fact ought to give us confidence in overcoming the attempt by certain elites to remake man in their own humanistic image. People will rebel against going against their nature. Maybe rebel is too strong a word. People are easily captivated by appealing arguments. Remember when John Lennon sang, Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. On some level, that sounds very liberating. The thought of complete freedom just to be. However, we all know life isn't like that. We all have responsibilities and relationships with other people. We all face difficulties in life that are beyond our control. And we all need comfort at times and search for understanding and intuitively turn to the spiritual, something beyond our human comprehension. In the book of Acts, chapter 26, 14 through 15, the writer describes a supernatural encounter between Saul and Jesus. It reads, And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus was expressing to Saul the futility of struggling against God. Fighting God is not a fair fight. Yet that's what atheists choose to do. The Christian gospel describes nothing but good for anyone who accepts Jesus Christ, even eternal life. Doubt is understandable, but aggressive opposition to the gospel is simply irrational. Perhaps this is at the heart of the worldview conflict in America today. An increasing number of people are deeply lost in selfish and destructive lifestyles, which they feel obligated to defend. It must be frustrating to defend themselves, so they lash out at others rather than examine their options. The purpose of these worldview explorations is to illustrate the worldview conflict and hopefully plant seeds about a better way. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, go out and do good. 